and I love that, don't you? What a blessing it is. It is so good to have my brother with me, with us tonight. Amen. And um, we appreciate him being here as well. You'd be much in prayer for him. He's a looking at um, doing some surgery the first of, of March. So be much in prayer for him as well. All right. Take your Bible tonight and turn, if you would, to Luke chapter number 14. Luke chapter number 14. Now I want you to I want you to get your Bible and I want you to keep it open there. Amen. And of course we use an old sixteen eleven King James Bible. If you got anything else, throw it away. Amen. I said this the other week. I wouldn't say this, but old uh, Phil Kidd said said uh, if you ain't got a good sixteen eleven King James Bible, leave it shut. It leaves gives a foul odor when you open it up. Amen. And uh, I would say that he did. All right. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. If you've got your place, let us stand together. And I want you to follow along with me because I'm going to get you to help me as we read this. All right. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children, and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also. Now that's you all read the rest of the sentence. What's it say? He cannot be my and whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me, finish. Be For which of you intended to build a tower? Sins not down first and count the cost, for they are sufficient to finish it. Lest happily, after he laid the foundation, is not able to finish it. All that behold it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desires conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, finish, You need not turn to it. But James 1, 6 says, Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. Here's my thought tonight. Living by faith in a culture of no commitment. Living by faith in a culture of no commitment. Zeke Carswell leads to the throne of grace. I mean, yeah. I get that right. Lee J. Lee J. Close. You know what I can do. Amen. Zeke leads to the throne of grace. 
Amen. And be seated. It is in my heart this year that we would move forward by faith. Yet to do that, there is something that we must learn to be able to do. That is to live by faith in a culture of no commitment. Perhaps the greatest and most destructive thing that's done in our nation and country is that we've become a culture of fear. This nation was built on a culture of faith in God, family, and neighbors. And yet, when you boil it all down, the greatest fears that we have is a fear of commitment. Multitudes were following Jesus. They had seen the miracles that he done. They were attracted to his miracles. You'll find in the Gospel of John when he fed 5,000, and if you count women and children, somewhere around 15,000. Could have been more interesting. People always come when you got free food. But when Jesus started to teach and to preach, talk about commitment, crowds stand out in a hurry. Notice the phrase. He said, He cannot be my disciple. He doesn't say it would be difficult for him to be my disciple. He doesn't say it'll be hard for him to be my disciple. He says it's an impossible for him to be my disciple. And we're living in a time when we're afraid, fearful of this great truth called commitment. I'll be honest with you. Jesus didn't have fine print in his contracts. I mean, right up front in this passage, he he don't cut any slack with any of it. Praise God tonight, salvation is free. But let's take this to the bank. Discipleship will cost you. And one of the greatest things that will cost you is commitment. Why is it there's no commitment? This, this is the truth. This is, heard this on the news the other day. One of the greatest epidemics that they have today is violence on airlines. They're having to deal with violence. And would you know what the number one thing is? One thing, what? Cell phones. As they begin to taxi out, they say, listen, you need to cut your cell phone off, your computers off, until we get to a certain altitude. And the rage comes because people are asked to cut off a cell phone. Would you believe that? I would. I wonder how many are looking at their cell phone now, texting. 
Then we'll just stop praying. That thing blows up in your hand and we'll all see it and know you're the one. Now you said that don't work. Oh yeah, I remember one year in, in the Super Bowl game, I prayed, God, you blew up the TV and I, I know one that did. Amen. Don't you mess with me. I tell you, big God hears and answers my prayers. There was living faith in a culture of no commitment. I do not believe I've ever seen a day when there has been less commitment. I mean, in any arena, not only is there less commitment of employees to employers, there's no commitment of employers to employees. That's gone. It's amazing to me. Me and Darlene will celebrate 40 years. We, you know, we've just we spent a whole life together. Amen. And that's been good. And yet, we'll swap off marriages. People get married. If it don't work, well, we'll give us another and another and another and another. Go from one relationship to another to another. Some away as if they're nothing. You know why? No commitment. No commitment. So tonight, how do we live by faith in a culture of no commitment? Four reasons. Number one, write them down. Fear of a passion. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters... Yea, in his own life also. What's the rest of the verse? Here's what the Lord's doing. The Lord is saying, you take the relationships of our lives, of any person here. And he says, those that you love the most, he said, those that you have the most passion about, those that, that, that you are so passionate about, we're not looking at cell phone, are we? All cell phones, put them up. Put them up. If you're, if you're not looking at me, you're looking at something else. All right? I know I'm going to be sound... I, just church here tonight. I know you, you think, man, boy, this year the preacher's just being me. No, I think it is time we lifted the character of some young people to look this way, set up straight... Uh, are we okay with that? And I believe it's time we've done that. And I see it, and you don't, but I see it. And a passion. He's talking about a passion that you have for a husband and a wife and a son and a daughter and a child. Here's what he's just saying. He's just saying, here's a group of people. They're following Jesus for the miracles. They're following Jesus because it was a popular thing to do. They're following him because it's an easy thing to do. They're following him because it's a right thing to do. But he's just saying, listen, we need to take it to another level. He said, if you are going to, to live by faith in a culture of no commitment, be a, a passion about what you're doing. He's talking about fear of passion. We went to a Bible meeting. Good preachers. Good preachers. They really were. Use the right Bible. Gave a good message. Outline. 
preached a good sermon. And I'm not being critical of preachers. As I sat there, there was something missing. And it was noticeable. It was noticeable. And that was this. They had no passion for what they were preaching about. You can't buy it. You can't manufacture it. It's either you have it or you don't. A passion. It is a difference of those that teach a good Sunday school lesson and those that don't. You can be grammatically correct. You can have your outline. You can have a hundred pages of notes. You can have all of that stuff. But if you don't have a passion for what you're teaching, a passion for what you're saying, a passion for what God's given you, it'll fall as dead as a hammer. A passion. There is a fear of a passion. He said to that crowd, said, some of you are following me for the wrong reason. He said, you're following me because of what I can give you, but not for who I am. This point of passion, oh, Hyman Appleman was a, a Jewish man. Hyman was raised in an Orthodox Jewish family. And Hyman gave his life to Jesus Christ. His Jewish parents said, you're no longer our son. You've denied your faith. You've become a Christian. And you've denied your heritage. We no longer have a son named Hyman. You're no longer our child. We disinherit you. And you're no longer welcome at our table. And you're no longer welcome in our home. Because you have become a Christian. Well, and Appleman crossed this country and he had a passion. Had a passion. And that passion, even at, the, even at the price of a daddy and a mom and brothers and sisters turning and said, You're no longer welcome here. You're no longer her son. But a love for God that says, I'm so sorry. I would to God he wasn't that way. But I can't turn my back on my God. I can't turn my back on my Savior. Amen. And we're reading about Herman Appleman, Heather Mercer, and Dana Curry went to Afghanistan. The Taliban arrested them. They spent 128 days in a Taliban prison. They were about to be executed when American Marines came and rescued them from prison. People they loved the most said, Don't go. Don't risk your life to go to a place of cruel regime that hates God and hates you. But these two Baptist girls chose to go there because God called them to go there to minister orphanages and children and try to help them. Their passion for Jesus had to be greater than the passion they had for their loved ones. We've lost our passion. It is a, it's a shame and disgrace. 
but it is true. And I, and I, and I, 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 I triple, I triple dog dare you. You can test it in your own house. Matter of fact, you can test it right now. Take your child's cell phone from them for a day. See what kind of fit they throw on you. See how they act. You'll find their passion. These young people are going to say, My God, killing us. Hey, you think it's bad? It's a patch. We'll go to the restaurant. And we'll sit down and just look around. Just look around. Let me see your text. See, I, I don't care mine is. I got a passion. <laughs> He's going to get very angry with me. You go to a restaurant, you look around, you know what they're doing? Here's what, everybody is on a cell phone. You know what we're, you know what we're not doing? We're not talking no more. We're not talking no more. We're not talking to one another no more. Hey, hey your children ain't talking to you. They're talking to some idiot on What's really sad? There's no parents saying, cut that thing off and talk to me. Talk to me. And you cut yours off and talk to them. Here was a passion, a fear of a passion. We live by faith in a culture of no commitment. There's a fear of a passion. Number two, don't miss this. There's a fear of a place. And the Bible says, And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me, what's the rest of it? Now, what's the meaning of bearing his cross? Is, is, is a cross that gold thing you're hanging around your neck? No. It's not the way he's talking about bearing your cross. Some people believe bearing a cross is a sickness or a sick child or a burden or a heartache. And they say that's the cross. God, God's my witness. I was driving through Akron and walking down the road. Had a big old wooden cross and there's a wheel down at the bottom of it. How many seen that dude? And he's, he's got that thing on his shoulder and he's a carrying it out in the way. Don't know where he ended up, but he's a carrying it. I'm telling you folks, that's not what that passage means. Here's what that passage means. Here's why it's so challenging to us. The cross was an instrument of death. And here's what it means. It means... That we die to ourselves. One fellow said his cross was his mother-in-law. <laughs> one one dear lady said, My cross is my husband. He popped up and said, No, no, it's her. She's a cross. That's not it. 
cross was an instrument of death. Here's what cross is. Cross is dying to self. Cross is saying, not my plan, but your plan, Lord. I'm dead. Not my will, but your will. Not my agenda, but your agenda. Because I'm dead. Bearing a cross is an instrument of death. And it's dying to self. As B. Gordon said this, In every life, there's a throne and a cross. If Jesus is not on the throne, he's on the cross. If self is on the throne, Jesus is still on the cross. But if Jesus is on the throne, then self is on the cross. In your life, right now, either Jesus is on that cross, or you are on that cross. And one of the two of them is in the throne room of your heart. No longer your will, but His. No longer your hands, but His. No longer your heart, but His. No longer your feet, but His. Here's what it means. It means an obedience to God all the time. Not sporadic obedience. You've heard this before, and and I'm going to get tired of telling it one of these days. We was down in a little white church, and another church called and said, we want you to come as our pastor. It, it was mine. It was just that simple. We then decided we, we want you. I, I hung up. I said, okay, I'm going to pray about it. I said, darling, you pack while I pray. Amen? We're going. Parsonage, everything. I mean, just, just ready. And... Uh, and God said no. And I knew God said no. And I remember just so broken hearted. I, I mean, it didn't look like this church, our church was going anywhere, doing nothing. We were landlocked. We couldn't, we couldn't go nowhere. Just, just, you know, one of those times. And, and I remember walking back in a little white church down here and nobody there but just me and God. And I just walked in and I said, God, just kill me. It's going to kill me anyway, so just kill me and be done with it. And what I didn't know was that's exactly what he wanted to do. He wanted me to die to my thinking, my agenda. Is it not sad that we've got folks sitting here that's been saved all your life, but you don't even believe God can take care of you. Why, your circumstance, your situation, your whatever it is, is bigger and greater than God. And so you trust the world that's changing, 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 and getting more untrustworthy as every day goes by. Amen? And yet, God said, if you want to be my disciple, 
God bear you crossed. There's an old Nazarene preacher, and he stuttered all the time. His name was Uncle Buddy Robertson. Robinson. Uncle Buddy Robinson went to New York. He saw all the bright lights. He saw Broadway. He saw the great white way. He saw all the sinful sights of town square. And after he saw it, he got down on his knees, uh, uh, actually on the street, looked up and said, God, I thank you. I've seen all that New York City has to offer. All the sinful sights. And I thank you that I didn't want one of them. Amen. Thank you. I didn't want one of them. The meaning of bearing the cross is it's an instrument of death. And I'll be honest with you. We don't like dying to ourself. We want our way. We, that's I want my way. I want my way. I demand to have my way. Notice not only the meaning, but notice the method of cross-bearing is this. It doesn't happen one time on an altar. Here tonight, when I'm done, if you, if you make your way down here and say, boy, I, I want to... I, I, I want to live in faith in a culture of you come to an altar. That's just a start. I'm going to tell you something. You got to do this every single day. Paul said, the old man's got to die daily. Man, he wasn't talking about your husband. He's talking about that old damning nature that we're born with. And he said, it's got to, be, it's got to die daily. It says every single day, every single day, you got to put him back on the cross and say, you're dying again today. I want God's will done in my life. Number three, number three. Not only is there a fear of a passion and a fear of a place, but know something, there's a fear of a price. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sit not down first and count the cost, whether you have sufficient to finish it. Here's a man who begins to build a building. He lays a foundation. Many months and years go by and people come by and they see the foundation. They see the walls get up about halfway and yet the building is never finished. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, started, but you ain't finishing. Two quitters. Too many quitting. Never seen a day. I've never seen a day people will quit without even a, without even a flinch. No commitment. They'll quit. Here's a man that starts a building, but uh, you just don't finish. You started your Christian life. You're excited. You're enthusiastic. You was a witness. You told everybody, but now you got locked jaw. Now you don't tell nobody. What happened? What happened? Many believers start out with a boom and wildfire and pretty soon they fizzle out. Christian life is a day is is a daily commitment. Billy Sunday said this. He was a baseball player. Stopping at third base adds no more to the score than striking out. I love that. Stopping at third base adds no more to the score than striking out. If you have 
matter how you finish, it matters finish. Paul said, I finished my course. Kept my faith. So I finished. A lot of them didn't like it, but he finished. Here is a group. God says, if you want, you want faith in a culture of no commitment, and somewhere get some backbone and steadfastness, saying, "Bless God, I'm not going to quit church. I'm not quitting God. But don't miss this. You are you are foolish if you think." That you can do this, it don't happen. What do you think church is? <laughs> what do you think church is? Church is all about. You know what that's like saying? You know what, you know what coming to church is? He's like saying, I, he, he's going to be a bride. He's the church's, he, the church's Jesus' bride. You know what? Like coming to church, like I said, I'm coming home. I'm married. I'm coming home. And I'm going to do right. Don't slack up. Don't back The price. Because there's a price. I just tell you, I mean, ain't no point blind to you. There's a price. You. minority of our country. I know everybody's selling out. That's the reason why we use this. That's the reason why we stand by this on King James 1611. That's the reason why we don't use New Revite. We don't use the New King James. We don't use the other Bibles. We don't use none of that junk. And I'm going to tell you something. You say, well, I'm going to. You can, but as long as I'm pastor, I'm not. Not for sale. Trees were not moving on the music. Trees are keeping the music. Well, I like the more hymns. Why trees? Why I love these families. Here, to, you say why? Because let's come committed to that. Oh, you you say, but preacher, the price. Someone says you're not going to build a church if you do that. I, well, I'm going to tell you right now. Now let me just tell you this. I, I take you right tonight to a church. They split a good conservative. They split that church. Went over and built another church. And talked to the and went there the other day because they was hell-bent on having their contemporary music, the liberal services. And guess what? Talked to him the other day. He said, the crowd that brought about the split, they ain't even there now. Nobody's there and we're barely hanging on. Probably hanging on. A fear of a passion, a fear of a place, a fear of a price. Oh, I would to God. I would to God. We love God and His business as much as we love this world and His trinkets and His toys. I would to God we did. Fear of pride. I, I read this for years. And I couldn't figure this one out. But here's what he's saying. Or what king 
going to make war against another king, sits not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. 10,000 on the other, and his head. Or else, while the other is a good ways off, he sendeth an ambassador, an ambassador is an ambassador, and say, listen, what do we need to do? Have peace. That puzzled me for years. But I believe this is what God is saying. God's saying, I'm the stronger one, and you're the weaker one. And if you're not too proud, you'll come to the strong one and say, what do we need to do? Peace. What do we need to do? 20,000 soldiers. It was a humbling. For that king to come over here and send an ambassador to this king and say, what do we need to do? To have peace. Strongest one had to call the shots. He had to humble himself to do that. Let me tell you why we are losing this thing. Is because we're too flipping proud. We're eat up with pride. We're 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 more concerned with what somebody thinks about us, says about us, than about what we really are. We got a generation is rebellious. And you know what? They're too stinking proud to even see that they're rebellious. Rebellious. But where did they get that? Well, they got that from parents. They says, I don't want anybody to think about, I don't want anybody to, we're, we're so stinking proud. I don't know anything about me. Do you really think your life is that much different than everybody else's? Bible says there's no temptation taking you but such as common to man. God said you're not touched with an, an infirmity that, that everybody's in touch. Do you, really think that you are and that there's something about your life that don't happen to anybody else's? I hate to tell you this. It's going to be a shock to you. So I don't want anybody to know what my problem is. I hate to tell you this. We all get one. Same place. I, I, it's amazing to me how proud and we won't surrender our pride. We need people to pray for us. Battling this world, we're battling a job. We're battling something, and, and I mean, it's about it's a. It, they're just a beating on us, and we're so stinking proud. We won't stand up. Said, "No, church, listen. Man, I, I got a devil. I got a devil at work. I'm fighting. Please help me pray." We we don't do that, and we're not we're not going to win this thing as long as this stinking pride. Is eating us up because it just it just ain't. Uh, 
this, this, this weaker king, he had to go, had to surrender his pride. And yet, had he not done that, I tell you right now, take 10,000, we're going to go whip 20,000. Let's go, boys. They would have took a whooping and been beat down just like you're being down in this world because you're too proud to say, God, we can't whip you. We can't reach you. So God, what, what do we need to do to have peace? What do we need to do to have peace? What do we need to do? You know why? Because we're going to run our own lives. We're going to call our own shots. Here, here's why we're so proud. God ain't controlling me! And yet, look this way now. Look this way. Factory does. Job does. I'm amazed at this. I'm amazed at this. We'll throw God on the bus in a heartbeat. But that job says, I have to work. Go! Regard. No regard. And old God calling the shots. They're going to run things themselves. I run my life better than God can anyway. I was going to give you some examples. Abraham is an example of this. Same thing. It's old age, 100 years old, and God gives him a son. He comes quickly becomes the apple of his eye. When he's a teenage boy, God says, Abraham, take him up on a mountain and offer him up as a burnt offering. That means to up and set him on fire. Abraham goes. Whenever he draws the down, God said, no, stop. Stop, Abraham. He said, stop. I know now, Abraham, your passion, you're willing to pay the price, the place, and I know you're not proud. Here's 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 Ram. As they come off that mountain, Abraham knew that day he'd never have that son as it was before. Moses is a good example. He could have been king of Egypt. But one day, God said, Hey, Moses, you, you need to go down and live with him. He forsook all. God put him on the backside of the desert for 40 years tending sheep. Here was the next in line to to the king of Egypt, God put him in tending sheep. You know why? Because he'd break that pride. Old Paul's the same way. Pharisee, brilliant. Speaks several languages. He said, 11 times I received 40 stripes in prison. Three times shipwrecked. Journeys often perils. Paul said, though, Jesus said, Paul, I know you love me. I know commitment. Because of fear of commitment. Why no commitment? Because of fear of commitment. You can be a member of the church, but he said you can't be my disciple. You can be a Baptist, Methodist, Church of God, whatever, but you can't be my disciple. He said your name can be on the roll, but you can't be my disciple. You can be in Sunday school, you can't be my disciple. You can sit on pew, but you can't be my disciple. 
Unless there's a commitment. So this tonight, I wonder, how many will stand up and rise up in a culture of fear and say, I won't be different. I won't be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I don't care if I stand out. I don't care if I'm different. I know I'll be different. I just want to be His disciple. Let's stand to our feet and every head bowed. Amen.